Excel Pro. Our goal is to serve our organizations. That's why we're the internal auditors, not external auditors or reviewers or regulators. I hope that our internal auditors are working in their organizations because they care about the mission, the goals, and the objectives of those organizations. Welcome to Excel Pro Audit, where we provide expert interviews and coaching to accelerate your professional development. I'm Elisa Salerio. Today, we'll be talking about the new global internal audit standards. My guest is Mike Peppers, the Chief Audit Executive for the University of Texas System and the COSO representative for the Institute of Internal Auditors. Today, we talk about how the new standards are structured, how they're poised to improve governance and oversight, and why, despite the changes, the standards are still timeless. Excel Pro's expert interviews and coaching accelerate your professional development. Our mission is to improve your day-to-day job performance and make your career goals achievable. For a transcript of this episode and to learn more about the Excel Pro audit community, visit joinexcelpro.com. That's J-O-I-N-A-C-C-E-L-P-R-O.com. And now for my conversation with Mike Peppers. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I want to start by talking about this latest update to the global internal audit standards. Typically, they're updated every five years, but this most recent update was a historic reimagining of the standards. It's a huge milestone in audit. Why was this the right moment to evolve? You are correct. It is something that we try to keep our attention on as we go through because the world changes. But we have not done a very significant overhaul to our standards for about 20 years. We'll probably talk today a little bit about the desire for us to have our standards be somewhat timeless. They should not need to be updated super frequently. But it had been two decades, and I think we're all in agreement that our world has changed, the pace of business has changed, how business is conducted has changed. And so we wanted to make certain that our standards were as usable by today's internal audit practitioners as possible. So we decided to do a major overhaul. We started off by calling it the relook of the standards, but in fact, it became much more than just a relook. It got the name a little bit later of the IPPF evolution. And IPPF is the International Professional Practices Framework. That encompasses several different elements of guidance, the standards being one of them. And so we did this historic relook to just be more fluid, to cover the needs of the practitioners that are in our various business sectors, and to really also be as responsive as possible to our stakeholders. Internal auditors and internal auditing itself really has as a goal 
to be helpful, to be of assistance to our stakeholders. And that can be our organizations generally where we work, but it's our board members, management of our organizations, and those who use the services of our organization. All of that broadly gets called work in the public interest. And so we really wanted to ensure that these standards were where they needed to be for this time period. Mike, you've been working on updating these global internal audit standards for years. Tell us a little bit about why they're interesting and why internal auditors should care. One of the things that is so important as internal audit professionals is that we be transparent and accountable with what we're doing. We've been charged with coming into different areas in our organizations, assessing them, auditing them, doing advisory work in their areas. And we need to do that in a very structured and fair and objective manner. We don't want anybody just making up the rules as they go along. That's one of the reasons that standards are so important to us, that we have a consistent approach to how we do internal auditing. We develop the standards that have principles associated with them that everyone can look at and be aware of. So it is encouraging and exciting for us to think about having standards that are set in the public interest and serve our members to help them to do their jobs as effectively and efficiently as they can, because we want to be successful and we want to help our organizations be successful. So these standards give us a structure that we can work with to do that. What would you say are the three or four key updates that internal auditors should be aware of? Even though we did a historic reimagining of the standards, we did not change the profession. What we were really trying to do, though, is as we look at the documents that are our standards, how can we make those more user-friendly for our internal auditors? We started off by asking our stakeholders, asking our members, what would make the standards more helpful to them? And so whenever we got that feedback, that's how we structured the changes. And one of them was simplification making them more concise. Over time, there have been elements added to the standard. It had different components of a mission, a definition, code of ethics, principles, implementation guide, numbers of different things. When the users were looking for a topic or needed guidance around something, they could go to one place and see all of the different elements that they might want to consider. From a structural perspective, that was just something generally we kept in mind. And then we took all of the standards and how they were previously organized, and we put them into five domains. If you want to see topics on ethics and professionalism, you can go right to that domain and look. If you are working with your board or your management and you're trying to get some guidance about that, you can go straight to that domain. Or if you're a staff auditor, and you're working on an engagement somewhere, and you're trying to make certain that you're covering the bases you need to, there's a domain for conducting the audit engagement. That structure was another thing that was important. And then probably the other significant change is in the domain that I've just referenced around governance. 
and around the oversight that our boards have and the relationships that internal auditors have with their boards. Senior management is also a significant part of that. And so for the first time in our standards, we now have more structured guidance around those relationships. And I think that in the near term and longer term, that's going to be helpful to our chief audit executives and to the internal audit functions as they communicate in real meaningful ways with their boards. There are many other things to change, but I'd say those are some of the highlights. So earlier you'd mentioned that the pace of business has changed. And of course, we can't talk about the pace of business without talking about technology. How does technology impact continuous risk monitoring and dynamic audit? I'm going to address that in two ways. First, whenever we are looking at the risk that exists in our organization and we're developing our work plans and we're doing those assessments, we're going to be looking at technology. So as an internal auditor, we need to be prepared to assess those risks and then address them as necessary. But we try not to be so specific in the standards because technology changes so rapidly. And we want our standards to be as timeless as possible. But another very important element related to technology is how we as internal auditors use technology to perform our work as effectively and efficiently as possible. There are always new things that come up and that are available to us. So the standards address, again, at a higher level, the need for internal auditors to continually be developing their competencies. And sometimes that's through enhancing the knowledge and skills that we have with training or particular certifications. But sometimes it involves obtaining specialized resources and to look at something very specific. Both of those concepts feed into having that dynamic internal audit function that can be responsive and address continuous risk in our organizations. So you touched on how there are just so many moving pieces here when we're talking about developing standards. There was feedback solicited from many different stakeholders. That feedback was used to determine how it was applicable to the public sector as well as small internal audit functions. So given all of that, how did you come to a consensus? I chuckle a little bit because this has been the story of my life for the last three years. Whenever we embarked on this project, we knew that we really wanted to be responsive. We did not want to just be a standards board that sat in a room and came up with thoughts and ideas and just pushed them out. That would not have been successful. So three years ago, we started research and outreach efforts, and we did a global practitioner survey. We talked with people who have conducted external quality assessments over the years. We reached out to other organizations that set standards and have frameworks so that we could hear from them and get some best practices. There's a group that I sometimes refer to as the United Nations of our profession. It's called Global Assembly, and we sought input from them. 
So all of this input was coming in and we were capturing it and the staff was so diligent in putting it together because we were charged not only with our own desire to make these responsive, but we have an oversight council as well, made up of independent individuals that are appointed from outside bodies who are going to be looking at our due process and how we develop these in what, as I referred to earlier, is the public interest so that it would be serving as many of our different stakeholders and parties as possible. After we got all of that input, that helped us to prepare what we call the exposure draft of the new standards. And we worked on that content for probably another year after we did that research. And when we had that exposure draft, we did everything possible to get it out in front of all of those individuals that gave us input. We had a survey that was developed that individuals could respond to. We had thousands that responded to it and gave us individual feedback on all of the questions. Then we started the process of putting and grouping that information that we got in those perspectives from the stakeholders into some major themes. I have never seen a group of people work together as collaboratively and cooperatively as this group did. That's pretty incredible. It sounds like it was a rewarding experience. Is that fair to say? I think that when I look back at the things that I've done over time in my career, being a part of this team, being the chairman of the standards board at this time, will be one of the highlights for me. And I hope that the standards will last 20 years like the one that we're just looking at replacing. So it's interesting that you consulted with so many people around the world, particularly because the new standards apply globally and they apply to organizations regardless of their purpose, size, complexity, or structure. That means that they need to be adaptable to different situations and different circumstances. How did they provide guidance across such a diversity of organizations? You are correct. In the last 10 years or so, my engagement with the IIA has pointed out just how diverse our world is, really, and the different organizations that make it up. Another element, in addition to the purpose and size of our organizations, is also the maturity of the internal audit functions themselves and their ability to work with the standards. And we wanted these to be as globally and universally applicable as possible. So one of the things that we did to attempt to make that easier and more effective is that in each of the five domains, we have the principles that apply, and then we also have the standards that map to those principles. But then underneath those requirements, we have two new elements. One is called considerations for implementation, And one is called examples of evidence of conformance. These considerations and examples are not requirements, but they are intended to give practitioners guidance to apply the standards in their setting. These are considerations for them to think about whether they are in the public sector or working in a financial organization or working in a very regulated area. They have different examples that they may be able to follow. And of course, key part of what we do is documenting the work that we've done. 
And all of these examples could be scaled in terms of what type of an organization that they are in or what type of an internal audit function they may be working in. So over the long term, it seems pretty clear that the standards are going to simplify and streamline the profession. But in the short term, change isn't always easy. What supporting resources do you have to help practitioners implement the changes and ensure they're rolling them out in a way that does not disrupt the business? As I mentioned earlier, we didn't change the profession. Generally, if an internal audit function today is conforming with our current standards, I would not expect there to be a crisis of non-conformance whenever they see the new standard. If we see some gaps or if we see something that might be required, these can be deployed and utilized for the next year because it will be a 12 months period of time after the standards are released that our internal audit professionals will have to be in conformance with the new standards. But having said that, we do want to make it as seamless and easy as possible for them. And so we've prepared and will release a disposition report that summarizes the themes and feedback and what change We'll also be releasing a comparison document that will outline the differences between the standards that we're dealing with today and the 2024 global internal audit standards so that the individuals can look at that and determine whether those changes are something that they'll need to address. And there will be many informational and training opportunities throughout the year of 2024 to help the individuals and any stakeholders better understand the impact that the new standards will have. You're the chief audit executive for the University of Texas system, which is one of the largest in the country. How has your role as CAE informed your work at the IIA and in helping develop these standards? One of the things that the IIA has always done is to utilize a great mix of both staff resources and volunteer resources. We have a volunteer network of practitioners across the globe that just are invaluable in all of the different elements of work that we need to do. Myself, being a career internal auditor, I think that the information flow and the benefit has absolutely gone both ways. Whenever I have been working on any topic with the IAA and most recently with the standards, I have been able to hopefully bring to the table the experiences of practical work, applying experiences we have. And that's one of the reasons that on our standards board, we do look for diversity of all types so that we are able to have a mix and we have people representing those diverse organizations we talked about in the different public sector, private sector, large, small goods and services. So we're all bringing our real life experiences into this practicality. And then also the benefit that we get is that as we sit around the table and hear from these other individuals with these diverse backgrounds in all different types of settings, I'm able to bring back to the University of Texas system those concepts, those best practices that I've learned from to help us do our work better. 
You've also achieved great success in your own career. You were recognized as a distinguished faculty member in the IIA's volunteer faculty program. You served as the chair of the IIA's global board in 2017, and you are also in their American Hall of Fame as a distinguished audit practitioner. And I mention all of that because I think it would be helpful to our listeners to really understand who were your mentors, those people who guided you along the way. First of all, Phil, and I've just been incredibly fortunate and blessed to have had the opportunities that I did. And I think it started for me many years ago as a young professional, just wanting to get outside the daily work and daily environment at the organizations I was in to really reach out and expand and to have a broader network to really challenge myself and to also contribute and give back. I have always had just a personal interest in education and training and developing oneself. And maybe that's one of the reasons that I've been auditing in higher education for my entire career. As I did that and had opportunities to contribute at local levels and then district regional levels and up it went to North America and then global At each of those levels, I really feel that the advancement opportunities I had were really because of the networking and the professionals that I was associating with. And I just consider myself to be so fortunate to have been around people that were willing to share back with me. And so that's what I have also tried to do with others that are earlier in their career currently even down to interns that we have that come from different University of Texas system institutions that work here in our internal audit department. I think it's a key responsibility for us to lead others, particularly in the last several years since the effects of the pandemic have really impacted the ways in which professionals interact. Could you tell us the one thing that you're excited about in terms of how the new standards will improve the profession? What would that be? When all is uh, said and done and our members around the world see the new standards, what I hope to hear from them is that this new set of global internal audit standards is going to make their professional role and their job easier to do more effectively because our goal is to serve our organizations. That's why we're the internal auditors, not external auditors or reviewers or regulators. I hope that our internal auditors are working in their organizations because they care about the mission, the goals, and the objectives of those organizations. We've really had a focus on not just conformance, but performance as well. So if you conform and you perform at a high level, that is going to equal increased quality. And that is going to reflect back on the internal auditor who is working so hard to do all those things for the organizations. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you, Mike. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you. For a transcript of this conversation and to learn more about the Excel Pro audit community, visit Join Excel Pro. That's J O I N A C C E L P R O.com. Thanks again to today's guest. 
If your colleagues in any sector of the audit field might be interested, please let them know about ExcelPro. As our community grows, it grows more useful for its members. Remember to send your comments and career questions to questions at joinexcelpro.com. You can also call us at 614-642-2235. That's 614-64-ACCEL. ExcelPro Audit is powered by Kaplan. The producers are Jay Ray Sparks and Jeff Eisenman. The team is Matt Crossman, Shweta Kulkarni, Caitlin Cole, and Jara Goff, Inesh Bose, Arnesh Bose, Neil Ungerleiter, and me, Aliza Salerio. Remember, we excel together. See you next time.